Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast. We go to the many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunty gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk about Nobility, Part 2. Nathan, why are we recording a second episode on Nobility only a week after the first? Uh, we sure do love our nobles. <laughs> no, honest, to be honest with you folks, it is really just boiled down to the fact that last week I just got cut off for time and it just had too many things that I wanted to talk about but didn't get to. So I convinced Nathan to let me do this instead of just doing a stinger because Nathan hates when I do that. <laughs> so, Nathan... What are other important aspects of the use of nobility in a D&D game? Uh, because they're, they're pretty cool, eh? Oh, for goodness sake. You still didn't do your homework, did you? What, what homework? The one that I assigned you last week. The one that I reminded you of four hours ago to give you time before we would record. That homework. Right. You're the homework. worst. You're just the worst. <laughs> <sighs> all right so first things first uh we did briefly talk about the fact that there are different laws that you can apply when someone is noble however there is way more to it than what i actually got to talk about last week so it is incredibly common for those of nobility to have literally different laws and rights available to them compared to commoners so we talked about just like laws regarding murder but there is so much more than just that so another incredibly important one that could be applied in D&D is that it actually is a historical fact that only nobility in some places had the right to bear arms so only nobles were allowed to carry weapons in cities and just certain places just with such laws. So in a D&D game, that actually makes a lot of sense if you think about it, because, yeah, adventurers are dangerous assholes most of the time. So if you are just like walking through a crowded city, you don't want people, you know, walking around carrying a staff that might let them shoot a fireball. You don't want them to have, you know, a sword that can let them just lop the head off someone who is just in a disagreement with them. So having the laws 
not allow weaponry for most common folk honestly has a bit of logic to it. And then allowing just nobility to carry weapons is just that one little, you know, extra twist of I'm better than you. But that is absolutely something that a dungeon master can apply in their game. Not to mention, could you imagine if players do just have to, you know, lock up their weapons at like a city gate, if there was just like a big vault, just like there's a, you know, wall around the city, let's say, because, you know, high magic D&D. So they've got this just massive wall. And then inside, like before you get to the city proper, they just have this vault. And then, OK, that gives you the chance to think of like potentially magical defenses or this heavily trapped area because it creates a new plot environment that would be common in large cities. And that could just create a new potential adventuring environment. Because what if someone, you know, tries to steal something that belongs to the PCs? Or honestly, probably the more common, what if the PCs decide that there's something that they want to try to steal? And honestly, I am a big fan of heist scenarios in D&D. So trying to figure out that kind of balance of, okay, what level of defenses would, you know, a town with X wealth have versus then, you know, PCs trying to get into that area. Like that's honestly something that I think could potentially be pretty nifty to just play through. So Nathan, can you think of any other just specifically on the subject of laws that might apply to nobility differently? Um. I think the, the there might be some laws against perhaps using like I don't know this is quite awfully specific uh, against people using certain uh, colors using certain vehicles uh, within the city or at all because you know exclusivity is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, you can absolutely have stuff like that. So another just really common one that just comes up a lot in like fantasy. I know, you know, Game of Thrones has done this. A lot of media does this is hunting rights. So the idea of, you know, these are the king's lands, you know, only those with the permission are able to, you know, hunt stag in the king's lands, you know, whatever the you know game of choice may be, you know, in D&D, maybe it's, you know, displacer beasts are delicious or something like that. But oh, the those idea... yummy, yummy displacer beasts probably like mm -hmm. the tails. Tails? You mean the tentacles? Yeah, those things. <laughs> the the tentacle like tails. They're not tails. They come. They come out of its back. Exactly. I wouldn't call that a tail at all. Let, let's pretend that I, <laughs> I, I totally. Let's pretend knew that you've that looked at a picture and read its description and and, and, and totally <laughs> forgot what it had on its body and then remembered incorrectly. And then said a thing that pretend that didn't happen at all and move on. Right. Anyway, so besides, you know, the more common kind of historical examples, there is another just more D&D &D specific option that is really worth considering, which is, of course, magic. So something that is really important in D&D &D is the fact that a powerful magic user is a horrifyingly dangerous or horrifyingly useful individual, depending on if they're with you or against you. So it would make complete sense for nobility to want to have the monopoly on magic because they want themselves to have that power. Because even if nobility has financial power, D&D &D is a you know multiverse where individual power 
is also a significant factor in the world. So having restrictions on who is supposed to be legally allowed to learn magic, like as a high magic DM, like that hurts my soul to think about, but it absolutely would be the case. And that is absolutely something that could be done for the sake of, you know, world building and even just, you know, as a source of drama in your own D&D world. Because if you have like neighboring kingdoms, let's say, where one of it is just like anyone who has, you know, the will and intelligence to do so is able to learn whatever form of magic they want, like a meritocracy kind of system, then they would have a lot of magic users. But if the next kingdom over restricts magic to only be allowed to be learned by nobility, then that is just going to be a lower magic society. Like, unless there is some strange in-world reason for them to have, like, more powerful magic users for some reason, they would just have less magic users unless there is, you know, just some form of MacGuffin just kind of shaping things otherwise. So it is interesting to think about, like, the societal implications. Like, okay, what are the rules on magic in just the various like big picture kinds of places, you know, or if you do just do the more outside in or sorry, the inside out kind of world building where you do just start with a smaller place. Like if you do start in just like a small town and maybe it's just the fact that, okay, this is a small town, you know, it's pretty poor. Then there may just not be a lot of people who could teach magic, let's say. So if you do just consider that, okay, you know, life is hard. So anyone who wants to learn magic can, but then it turns out that, okay, there is just, again, a neighbor that just has different rules. So thinking about different access to magic in different places is something that could influence like the big picture politics of your world. And as is so very often the case, is this something that you need to necessarily plan out for every single area in your world? No. <laughs> is it something that can help shape the world building, though? Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's probably the best I'm going to get out of you, at least. But honestly, though, like we've been shooting off just a couple of the, you know, kind of law examples here. But there, like if you just Google like rights of nobles like that can give you a massive list of just other topics that can be just influenced by what you may be able to oh yeah I remember uh talking about nobles isn't there like this thing then on the wedding day the lord is mm. th th there's like this fuck thing that, yeah. that the lord is allowed to um you sleep yeah. with the woman yeah, yeah it, it's it's really messed up it's not great yeah, I mean, Man, I'll be honest, no, no. I would really, really prefer that not to be a thing, but that was, yeah, that's, that, that was that, a lot. That is, that's pretty fucked. Uh, yeah, fuck you for bringing that one up. I didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm here for. Yeah, prima nocta, I think, is what it's called. <laughs> Them nobles be horny ass fucks. I mean, humans are horny as fuck. That doesn't change. There's a reason that there's so many half-breeds in D&D. Humans will get it on with anything. Oh, God. Anyway. So 
besides just the legal system, though, there is also some very, very important details that I did not spend enough time on last week, which is about the titles themselves. There are a stupid amount of titles that just exist or have existed in our world. So a lot of the time we go with the kind of European feel and titles in D&D, but we really don't have to and really, really just shouldn't because there are some really freaking cool titles just out there. And honestly, just on Wikipedia, there is a page Imperial, Royal and Noble Ranks that just has a massive list of just historical world titles for all kinds of just different levels of governance. And some of them just are really cool. Like the idea of using just other titles besides just king. You could have a Kaiser, a Tsar, a Pharaoh. Like there are so many cool titles out there that the fact that we do default to just using like kings and lords for the most part with occasional, you know, other things like a, you know, a baron or a duke. Big surprise or very Eurocentric. I mean, it's not a big surprise, but it is something <laughs> that is kind of unfortunate. So like we did go through like in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there is a list of, you know, ranks of nobility. And that's like 10 things long, but it still only does pull from that wait, European wait. list. Actually, I got it. I, I think I understand why this is the case, though, because when you think about it, when it really comes down to it, fantasy uh, originates from... A lot of very Western themes, you know, Ma yeah. mainly to Tolkien is where all the like D&D was influenced by and so on and so forth. Yes, but just because there is that, you know, heavy European influence does not mean that you as a dungeon master are limited to those things. Exactly. So one other point that I do want to bring up is thinking about like how how many tiers of nobility you have. I would say is something worth thinking about in advance. You don't need to actually like draw the borders. I did, but you don't have to. But it is something that can just be good to know just to have the idea of, OK, like I'm going to just spread it out from this to this to this to this. So to just know, like I'm going to have, you know, five tiers or I'm going to have like all 10 or I'm going to have all these other <clears throat> other places with other you know, ranks and titles and all that stuff like to just think about that when you're doing your world building, like I think can be a valuable thing. And honestly, just picking the number of tiers that you use for just like your area where the players are just can be useful for the sake of planning out the scale of the campaign. So to just make the choice, OK, it's just going to be like King, Duke, Baron, uh, you know, Count lord like okay cool five i'm just gonna have it spread out that much nifty so another thing though is that like dungeon masters again just a lot of the time don't think about the scale but what i mean by that okay so a lord is like the lowest title and that could just be like the you know knight who is rewarded for heroic deeds gets you know, elevated to a new no noble title. And then they might get, you know, uh, permission to, you know, run, a, you know, manor house in this 
small town and then they control like that town and the surrounding area and like we did talk about in strongholds that some players really like the idea of having just you know the place that is mine and like to play that like style of game and i think that that's awesome a lot of players don't want to just play the kind of you know kingdom management type of game and that's fine it is totally okay for even player characters who do end up getting something to make the choice of like okay we're just gonna leave it in someone's hands and we're gonna just still keep adventuring and like maybe we'll just you know check in every so often and that's fine but that brings up a very very important point player character nobility so nathan can you name any of the ways that a player character is mechanically able to become nobility uh all of none <laughs> i know you know of one of them even though i've also mentioned the second on previous episodes uh do i know about yes you I know but again we've talked about both of them you just don't remember i, I don't remember <laughs> So the first one is the noble background. You have played with characters that have oh, yeah, the noble background. Shit. Yes, Nathan. <laughs> oh, it boggles my mind. <sighs> Damn it, Nathan. And what's really funny is that like the description of the noble background actually has a pretty good description of just like what nobility can be in a DD game to like the first paragraph alone you understand wealth power and privilege you carry a noble title and your family owns land collects taxes and wields significant political influence you might be a pampered aristocrat unfamiliar with work or discomfort a former merchant just elevated to the nobility or a disinherited scoundrel with a disproportionate sense of entitlement or you could be an honest hard-working landowner who cares deeply about the people who live and work on your your land keenly aware of your responsibility to them like god damn that is a dense fucking paragraph so the entire description just of the noble background gives a lot to a dungeon master who wants to just plan what do nobles do like okay cool so it specifies right there own land collects taxes has political influence okay cool so that's something that surprisingly doesn't come up even though the background itself says to is that your player is supposed to talk with the dungeon master to plan out okay how much influence does your family have and where like why is it that you're out as an adventurer like are you like the third son of the noble family so you are like practically guaranteed to not inherit like does your family have like political influence in some area that you might go to at some point like so many D&D games just have everyone in the party just be orphans or if they're not orphans, they become orphans very shortly because they have a DM like Nathan. Ah. <laughs> but seriously, though, the idea of incorporating that noble background as a relevant part of the game just doesn't happen often. And it's weird, like backgrounds in general are honestly like underutilized a lot in that they have all these neat features and descriptions to them that dungeon masters honestly rarely take advantage of like nathan can you even name what any of the backgrounds of the current pcs are uh yeah <laughs> without looking at their character sheet now um garv clearly is a uh 
a folk hero, right? No, Gorf is a noble. Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't seem quite right. Right? Like, I want to know the history there. How does a noble family produce Gorf Rumnheim? He had a very uh, special childhood. Like, told is, it him the kind of some thing, like, is it the fact that like he does come from like a noble family that did just get killed? Because that boy wasn't raised right. No, no, I tell you what happened, right? So um he was he was raised on the nobles. The second he lost all that money, like he didn't know how to take care of his money, right? And then uh, that bad shit happened. That's why he doesn't know how to take care of his money. And uh he, he yeah. <laughs> Fan theories with, with uh, Nathan, the, the dungeon master of Riffling. Uh, de- See, you didn't even know that you had a current noble in the party. Now, what's also particularly funny about that, you don't have a noble, you have three. <laughs> Because Harlan and Harlan are also nobles. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> okay, at the very least, that's why they're they've so only been tidy. around for one episode, okay? <laughs> I know, but it's just the fact that you have no idea what is on people's character sheets. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yes, but um, it's part of the charm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know I know rules, you know riffs. That is our dynamic. <laughs> Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But uh, in all seriousness, though, just DMs, all of you, just read the entire description of the noble background. It gives a lot of handy information. Also, backgrounds give, you know, the whole personality trait, ideal, bond, flaw, all that good stuff. So if you're trying to just like create, you know, a noble NPC, there is a lot just in that background that you could pull from so you could just you know roll on the charts for those characteristics like or you could just kind of like pick one 
two, just kind of get the feel for this person that you're trying to make. So if you have a noble, you can just have the one. Okay, personality trait. I don't like to get my hands dirty, and I won't be caught dead in unsuitable accommodations. But you don't have prestidigitation. But it just means <laughs> that I need to have my retainers take care of everything potentially dirty. I'm not going to dirty my own hands with such barbarity. And again, you immediately have like, oh, okay, I, I understand what type of asshole this guy is immediately, just in that like 10 seconds. Like just pulling just a, a thing or two just from those charts can immediately help just create a feel to that NPC noble that, okay, I understand this character and I immediately just know, okay, this is what he's going to think about whatever situation we're currently in. And that could just be a lot of fun. Like, imagine like the kind of situation like, okay, you've got, you know, a noble who just hired the party to escort him from, you know, city to city. And just the players are just dealing with this, you know, bandits attack, you know, the party has to fight like, no, no, I'm not going to get into a fight. Such things are beneath me. That's why I hired you. Like, damn, like it's it would be a just fun kind of situation of just like seeing this kind of interaction with, you know, this just this type of guy with just a party of player characters. But it is massive just all of those charts of the characteristics you know between all of them there's what 26 things yeah so if you just pull one or two of those you can easily make a lot of distinct npcs in your world just pulling from those charts so with that being said another massively important thing to consider is who is noble and like what does that actually mean in world so we talked about a lot the feudal system but that is not at all the only way that that can work so we actually have also done an episode on guilds in the past and that is a topic that i'm really fond of in all honesty but nathan how familiar are you with the world of eberron uh is it no i can't remember <laughs> <laughs> Well, say what you think it is, and then I'll say what is the correct answer. Uh, th there's magic, and um, yeah. <laughs> well, it is a world of D&D, &D, so yes, there is magic. That is technically accurate. All right, I got one. <laughs> I wouldn't count that as one. I wouldn't even count that as a half point. <laughs> so what? what is Eberron? <sighs> Great tell, Romy. Yeah, so Eberron is... A world that is not necessarily higher magic, but the description used for it is often wider magic. There's a lot more low level magic in the world of Eberron. And the way that it is treated a lot of the time is specifically magic is controlled by the dragon marked houses. So there are these noble families that all have this just inheritable magical ability to have just these various dragon marks that give them like pretty significant like low level magical abilities. So all of the noble houses have massive control in that world. So if you want to think about actually applying like 
magic noble houses where a lot of magic is controlled by nobility, like we were talking about earlier. Eberron is a massive resource that dungeon masters can pull from. Like, obviously, even if you're not playing in the world of Eberron, just the way that it is all described, the way that it goes into massive detail over many, many pages is a fantastic resource for dungeon masters to figure out, okay, so this house has control of magical healing. Like they are the ones who standardize potion prices at, you know, 50 gold for a potion. Like they are the ones who control, you know, the resources to, you know, get the herbs to make a healing potion. So like, I think it even is in the book that like 90% of healing potions are like made by, or like with the seal of that particular dragon marked house then that is just a massive influence on the world because then that leads to that, you know, monopoly of, okay, what would happen then if that house were to just say, we're not going to sell healing potions anymore. Fuck you guys. Like that is a massively powerful foot on the throat of everyone. Aha, all of you can go die now. Uh, my name's the Red Cardinal. <sighs> I mean, <laughs> <And he's> yeah. <laughs> But the idea of like, okay, there are a lot of just magical aspects of D&D that is just assumed to be the case. So to have there be a limitation on that through the use of, you know, the monopolization of magic, it creates drama. It creates interesting stories, potentially, in Eberron, but also in any world where just the idea of that is pulled from. There are so many things in the world of Eberron that are influenced by the dragon-marked houses. So even if that's not a world necessarily, or like the high magic even necessarily that you want to play in, to just read about how those noble houses do control and limit you know, magic in the world is just massively potentially beneficial to any dungeon master, like just for the sake of world building and just understanding how nobles in a magical setting work, because it is just a lot. There's a lot there to pull from. And I mean, even if you want to just go back and read like older Eberron books, besides just, you know, Rising from the Last War, you know, or the Wayfinder's Guide, <laughs> then there is a lot of material for Eberron out there that just, oh, so, so good. I really like Eberron. Well, I like high magic. Remy and high magic. He just yeah. likes being high, guys. I mean, also true. That's not inaccurate. Anyway, so uh, besides all of that, I got off topic a bit. So I was talking earlier about just having an idea of like the tiers of your nobles. So like I mentioned that, you know, I like thinking about the five tier because it's a few things, but it's not like so much that it'd be a headache for me to keep track of. So just to consider, OK, so, you know, there's, you know, king, duke, baron, count, lord. So from the sake of scale, actually, let me just also go into some quick uh, etymology. Hey, Nathan, where does the word count come from? So uh, when when you have numbers, right, you got someone to count them. So like that that's where <laughs> count comes from. Unfortunately, right? that is incorrect. Damn it. So a count rules over a county. So it is just 
a description basically of just how influential they are. And what's funny is that if you consider like Count Dracula, so Count is like a relatively low noble title, like except for just the lords, like everyone else is above Count. Like it is really low on the totem pole. So like, you know, obviously Dracula is, you know, powerful individual, you know, what was it? Uh, Vlad Tepish of Wallachia, I think was the real guy. But yeah, the idea of just a count, though, is, yeah, actually really low. So thinking about a county in scale, though, like, again, like, I, I want Dungeon Masters to just understand. Remy. The, yes. How large is a county for people like me who have <laughs> That's where I'm trying no to go with this. <laughs> so, OK, so at the top, you have the king. So the king rules <laughs> you know, whatever is the country, you know, okay. or again, technically could just be any ruler could technically be, be called a king that can get fuzzy. But anyway, so uh, I don't know that there actually <laughs> is any like description of like, it must size, be this right. size. Right. Because it's that just, really wasn't a thing. It's just like, that's the bottom. Yeah. It's just that it was just a certain subdivision. So you'd have the kingdom divided into multiple duchies, the duchies, subdivided further into you know the the bear uh what was it oh yeah talking baronets talking about sizes and stuff like this is like trope slash joke in a lot of rpgs like even in games and stuff where you have this king that rules over a small island or something like that like Mm -hmm. really small like maybe there's only one other person on the island that kind of thing (laughs) and then it's like 10 meters by 10 meters or some dumb shit like this. Like, I am the king of uh, St- Stone Island. Yeah. So, yeah. So I I did just a quick Google and like there really just doesn't seem to be any kind of good description on the size of a county. Also, just looking at a map of the United States, like it is really inconsistent of just like how big a county is or just even just what population is in a county can just massively massively vary but let me try to describe it this way so let's just say that they're like instead of a president the u.s had a king so okay so then you have the king but then let's just say that the ruler of each state in the u.s could be considered a duke so then you might further have it subdivided so You've got, you know, various regions of a particular state. So let's just say California, because it's a known large state internationally. So, okay, so you've got the king, then you've got like the Duke of California, but then you might also then have a, you know, baron of like North California or like Northwest California, just to have the particular, you know, coastline area. Then you might have, you know, some amount of, you know, baronets further dividing up just the regions of the state. And then you have that subdivided into the actual counties. So then the counties are just the smaller geographical areas that would then be controlled by the count. And then even going zoomed in farther than that, you might have the local lord who has just the single area, small area that is under their control and again as a dungeon master you don't need to draw out the full map because there would be a lot of nobles 
Like, it is a not insignificant percentage of the population. So, well, I mean, it's, it's a small percentage, but it is a not insignificant number. Because if you have, you know, let's just say you only have a million people in your D&D world. Like, that's a, a really, really low population, first of all. But just for the sake of math. So even if you only have 1% of people, you know, the 1%, be nobility, then that's 10,000 people. That would be nobility in that case. I mean, you can have shitty nobles, like, like you know. Yeah, the, absolutely. The, and again, it's not saying that there's. Like, it's not saying that it, there's yeah. that many noble houses, because then you would have, you know, the, you know, you oh, have the God. king, you have the queen, you have, you know, maybe a couple wait, of wait, princes Remy, and princesses. Remy, I just, I just, I just fear it for something. Mm. Do you have like some sort of fucked up serial killer <laughs> tree thing that has like over twenty, like no, sorry, fifty different houses, and like <laughs> like each one you have like an entire family under, and all the fucking marriages are there. Do, do you have that? No. Yes. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> uh, guys, um, I don't, I don't think he's human. I, I think like my, my dear friend Remy is some sort of like mo monster. I, I, I don't know what kind of monster, but I'm fairly <laughs> certain he's some kind Bad of monster. People. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, never seen his face in real life, so like how do I know you he's real? <laughs> Not in person. Well, okay. The pictures must must be fake. He he just sounds like some unassuming Jewish guy. <laughs> we had the webcams on once. Oh yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I totally forgot. <laughs> Forgetful asshole. Oh jeez. <laughs> Dude. Anyway. So again, the point that I was trying to make with that, like, you don't need to pull a Remy. Honestly, it is totally fine to be way closer to Nathan on this particular spectrum of just not planning it at all. You can do that, and that's okay. The point that I'm trying to make with this is to just think about the scale and just to understand in your world, like, okay, this is the people that the party is currently talking to. You know, they might have these other people below them. They have these other people above them. That's it. If you want to just plan farther out, you can wait till the party gets there, and that's fine. But it is just convenient for the sake of world building to it at least understand where they are and what is the next one step above and below. Like, that's reasonable, I would hope. I know Nathan still isn't going to do that, but that's Nathan, and I'm not surprised. Remember, kids, good, good writing is not writing at all. <sighs> I know I already said it last week, but it's still applicable. You make me sad. Uh... <laughs> Anyway, uh, so I did talk about the noble background, but there is actually one more way that a player character is able to become nobility. And that's actually in the other rewards section of the Dungeon Master's Guide. Like we've talked about that before in terms of like training and a little bit about epic boons we've just mentioned before. But giving a title is actually listed there also in the other rewards category. So it is in the book that players have potential paths to nobility, that they might get assigned a title in thanks for actions that the party performs. So if you do have, you know, a particularly, you know, competent uh, 
not murder hobo party, although I guess murder hobos technically could still do things. But anyway, like they get a reward from like, let's just say a duke like that. There was a you know massive attack that there was like a family of trolls that moved into an area and, you know, killed a baron. And that land now needs a new administrator that and the party in thanks for them, you know, killing the trolls is rewarded with this barony. And this would be for, you know, a mid to highish level party at that point, you know, most likely. And then, OK, cool. So then they get this land. Maybe there is like a player character who's actually interested in that kind of stuff. And then they might just have a quick you know, chat with the DM of just like, oh, cool. I'm just going to set this up. Oh, we made friends with this, you know, NPC that we know is a, just a very organized person. And we do kind of owe them for burning their shop down. So we're just going to install this NPC that we like in this place as like a thank you slash sorry so that we can continue adventuring. They get a promotion. So it's we're influencing the world, even though, you know, we, the player characters, aren't actively taking care of this stuff. We still have, you know, this NPC to be like our majordomo, like to actually just deal with a lot of the responsibility that we don't feel like doing. So I'm curious, just Nathan, what would be your take on like granting PCs a rank of nobility? Well, I think it's cool. Like, is it something that you would ever see doing yourself? Okay, so it's it's not the kind of thing that I would go out of my way to do, but if a PC, uh, like a player or the player character, had that as, as, as a goal, I would set that up. Because that's how I run <laughs> my games. Yeah, fair enough. Like, nothing is relevant unless we bring it to relevance. Exactly. And I yeah, mean, it's that, that, that kind style. of thing, like, like um, think, think of it as a video game, right? It's, it's not rendering the stuff that you're not seeing. So that, that's how I run, run it. If you don't see it, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So unless we go there, it is nothing it until is... we are there and ask questions. No, like, like I, I, I have a joke. Like I have this idea of my world in my mind. If it was a map... Mm-hmm. It would just be like flat and empty, and then just mm-hmm. like suddenly fill out as people walk walk through them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's accurate. So, in summary, nobility is absolutely something that dungeon masters can make use of in a myriad of ways to shape their Dungeons and Dragons world. Whether it is through the use of just laws that apply to nobility, whether it is through player characters potentially gaining or just being nobility, or just any distribution of land to understand how the politics of your world works, there are many, many paths available to you for the sake of your world building. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash riftwakepodcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Riffs and Rules topics. Find us on social media, on Twitter at riftwakepodcast, on Facebook as riftwake, on Reddit, on the subreddit, r slash Podcast, and you can send us an email, riffwakepodcast at gmail.com. And that's it for today.
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.